The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. TikTok is a weapon. And the Chinese Communist Party is able to use this as a tool to manipulate America as a whole. ByteDance is not owned or controlled by the Chinese government. It's a private company. Dangerous algorithms and Chinese Communist Party are not good for Americans. Has ByteDance spied on American citizens? I don't think the spying is the right way to describe it. I have seen no evidence that the Chinese government has access to that data. They have never asked us. We have not provided. Well, you know what? I've I, asked find that. That, I find that actually preposterous. I'm John Favreau. Welcome to Offline. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Offline. Today, we're talking about whether the U.S. should ban TikTok. You probably heard that last month, TikTok CEO Shou Chu testified before Congress about whether the Chinese-owned app is a threat to national security. There were a few good questions here and there, but mostly the entire hearing left a lot to be desired. And I didn't come away with many answers to the big questions I have about TikTok, like what kind of data does TikTok collect? What are the chances that the Chinese Communist Party is using the app to spy on us or disseminate propaganda? And what are the consequences of banning an app used by 150 million Americans. So today, we're going to try to give you the TikTok debate we wish we heard from Congress. This episode will be a bit different. First, you'll hear my conversation with V Spear, TikTok's most popular newscaster who strongly opposes banning the app. Then, you'll hear Max Fisher's interview with Graham Webster, a Chinese technology expert at Stanford University who can shed more light on the privacy risks posed by a Chinese-owned company like TikTok. Finally, you'll hear from Senator Mark Warner, the lead Democratic sponsor of the Restrict Act, which would give the Biden administration the power to ban TikTok. First up, my conversation with V Spear, a hugely influential TikTok newscaster who breaks down the day's headlines in easily digestible explainers. V has been an outspoken advocate against the Restrict Act. They've reported on it extensively, sat in the front row of the congressional hearing, and spoke at a Keep TikTok press conference last month with Congressman Jamal Bowman. I invited V on to talk about why they think a ban is a bad idea and what a ban would mean for the communities they and other creators have cultivated on the app. Before we get started, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please email us at offline at crooked.com. And please take a moment to rate, review, and share the show. Here's my first interview with V Spear. V Spear, welcome to Offline. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You have been called TikTok's number one newscaster. Your show, Under the Desk News, is hugely popular in a fantastic way for people to get uh, simple, accessible explainers about the day's headlines. Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed watching it. How'd you get started? And why did you gravitate towards TikTok specifically as your main platform? 
So I, like many people, got started in an early pandemic. Everything had kind of shut down. And prior to being a TikToker, I was the director of impact for the James Beard Foundation. Mm -hmm. So I'd done a lot of educating on the ways that chefs could leverage local governments and write their congressperson to advocate for better food policies and better work policies. And so I had a little bit of a foot in politics, but mostly was on uh, the entrepreneurship side. Mm -hmm. Pandemic came, shut down everything, and the, the rush to... Join was really driven by the lack of community that we had at that point and my desire to like still teach chefs how to apply for the shuttered venue uh, monies, how to navigate CARES Act applications. So I was using the platform the way that I used to use webinars and in person and then just Mm -hmm. like making really goofy food and trying to just have some fun. So that's how I got started. So you literally had a front row seat to the hearing Congress held on uh, TikTok a few weeks ago. What did you think of the members' questions? (laughs) So I <laughs> So I wanted that seat specifically because what I was hearing from Congress ahead of time was that you know they were looking at this platform TikTok as like the wires and the phone and the the coding and they weren't seeing the community and as a very like comically recognizable member of the TikTok community I was like I'm going to sit right behind them because I've met with these Congress people, some of them before, and I've made TikToks with some of these Congress people before. And I wanted to remind them that there was a community behind this platform. And so some of the questions I thought were incredible. I thought Rep. Clark's question about our black and brown voices being um, suppressed, and if so, does that mean they're being uh, cut out of financial compensation. I thought there was a great question about geo-targeting of uh, women, and could that potentially be dangerous to them out in the world? And then there was a bunch of just like silly, very out of touch questions that I think came from people who, one, were unprepared and two, had already made up their mind. And so that was disappointing. Yeah. The NyQuil chicken questions and the uh, the uh, the Wi-Fi question. What was the Wi-Fi one? It was. Someone, does it someone... connect? Does TikTok connect to my home Wi-Fi? And he was like, if you make it. Yeah. <laughs> Tough. It's you know what? They uh, they never disappoint when it comes to. Uh, asking questions of uh, tech folks in Congress. <laughs> they really thought they like got him to. I mean, you're sitting across from this person who's the CEO of TikTok, who you are painting to be the most dangerous, intelligent tech supervillain of our time. And then you're asking him questions like you're going to get him, like you're going to catch him up on something tech related. It was it was incredibly unusual and, and yeah. not very entertaining for me. Yeah, no. If you had testified and yeah. been able to respond to one of the members of Congress who wants to ban TikTok mm-hmm. over national security concerns, what would you have said? So I would say, show me what those are. I think what Congress failed to do was show any sort of like tangible evidence of national security issues and where those issues are coming in and failed to prove how a TikTok ban would solve that issue. I want to see that. That would have been very interesting to me. So first, that would have been my question there. And then aside from that, you know, why the calling out of TikTok so specifically and not calling out all of social media generally or calling out video game game chats, which are also part of often Chinese-owned companies. Um, so those would have been my, my questions for them. Do you think there are um, any merits to any of the criticisms being leveled against TikTok? Which in particular? That because ByteDance is a Chinese company and Chinese companies have certain obligations to the Chinese government under Chinese law, that there are privacy concerns, that there are concerns about the algorithm, you know, being used to both promote uh, Chinese Communist Party propaganda, as Mm -hmm. well as sort of 
ban or um, hide uh, topics that uh, are uncomfortable to the Chinese government? Mm-hmm. I would say show it to me again. I mean, they were calling out, are you suppressing Tiananmen Square uh, content? Are you suppressing criticism of China content? And if you go on the app, you would see a lot of that stuff is there. Um, so I would, again, I felt like the proof wasn't there. The homework wasn't done. So I, as American, was tuning in to say, like, show me where I'm being done wrong. Yeah. What I think is difficult with an older Congress is that this red scare and this like hate of China broadly as if China is a monolith and all the people in it are part of that uh, doesn't fly with a modern American public. We have Chinese coworkers. We have Chinese partners. We recognize every single thing in my office right now is from China. So it's very difficult, I think, to use that kind of like 1980s style hate for China, China hawk kind of rhetoric with a younger audience who doesn't share that same experience with, uh, with the hate of that particular country. So in the two or so years since I uh, downloaded TikTok, mm-hmm. I have deleted the app and then reinstalled it multiple times. So it's mm-hmm. fair to say that I, I love the app, but mm-hmm. I'm like torn on the possible dangers. And here's what, here's what worries me. And I, I, maybe you can walk me through some of this. So like, I know that US-based social media companies track my data because they're trying mm-hmm. to sell me shit, right? Mm-hmm. I also know that if the U.S. government wanted that data, they would have to go through courts to get it. Uh, that's typically Allegedly. the process. Allegedly, right, right. <laughs> yeah. There's a process. It's an imperfect process, but there's a process that they mm-hmm. have to go through. It's not the case with Chinese-owned company like TikTok. They are required to turn over data to China's authoritarian government if asked. And in the case mm-hmm. of TikTok, that can include you know, browsing history, text messages, pretty much anything on your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, TikTok has admitted already to tracking some journalists. uh, I think there was four journalists, uh, physical movements. Former employees have been have admitted uh, to being told to highlight Chinese government propaganda and ban videos about topics like Tiananmen Square massacre or Hong Kong protests, even though, as you said, some of those still appear on the platform, but some of these, this is a report that some of these employees have been uh, admitted that they were told to do that. Like, does any of that worry you? Well, I think we need to look at it from two different perspectives, right? There's like the national security perspective, and then there's the national voice of TikTok, which is this community of 150 million Americans, 5 million businesses that use the platform to find safe spaces, to find communities. So I think it's two separate questions. Am I concerned about my data being sold? Absolutely. But I'm concerned about that happening through hacks and data breaches and all different types of avenues. I think what I would love to see Congress do is focus more on data privacy protections for Americans that are blanket protections that go, whether it's an American company, Chinese, Russian, Iranian, whatever you want to say, and don't just target this one digital square that a lot of people have found platform on. So I think it's two different questions. Am I concerned? Sure, of course I am. I'm concerned that my bank password's going to get leaked again as well. Yeah. Um, but I think when we're talking about then what's the alternative, I think the American government needs to offer alternatives to folks who have built their community, their business, and their livelihood on this platform and sort of more gently deliver them to another opportunity, whatever that might be. I also think there's a difference in talking about what TikTok was three years ago and where they are now and where they're going. I Mm -hmm. would love to know more about Project Texas. I wish they would have asked more qualified questions about this new data plan, which exceeds all other social media platforms. So I think I'm more interested in where we're going than maybe like how it was before Shochu was even CEO. Right, right. And I guess the other concern that I hear people um, raise a lot that's specific to TikTok is how 
powerful and opaque the algorithm is. So like mm-hmm. if you're getting news from Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, like obviously plenty of misinformation and disinformation on those platforms, famously so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Russian government used Facebook famously in the 2016 sure election, right? Yeah, sure um, did. But at least if you're getting news from those, like you at least know who you follow, where that news is is mm-hmm. coming from. And you can sort of, you know, if you're a discerning media consumer, you can sort of sort through some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. With TikTok, the algorithm really does choose for you in a way that it doesn't on some of these other platforms, right? Because you're just, you're just getting videos in your feed. And I think the concern there is if the Chinese government, right, mm-hmm. which already censors content and for Chinese people mm-hmm. um, significantly, if they want to control the algorithm to feed people certain propaganda or hide other propaganda from people, then they can do that. And if we're not, if, if the U.S. isn't in control of that, then maybe there's a problem. Well, I think we have such a diversity of places that we get our information from that even if the Chinese government was in some way censoring what's what's platformed or how the algorithm works in this particular avenue, we would still have access to the entire breadth of American journalism that is highlighting these different places. So then you log into your Instagram and you see it there maybe, or you log into your Wall Street Journal account, or you log into your Washington Post account, and you'll be able to read all of these stories. I think it's interesting how much of a focus they're putting on the idea that China could control the American conversation totally, when in fact, we have such a diversity of places that we're reading and engaging with online, TikTok being just one of them. Mm. The other thing that I think is interesting about the algorithm is it's been shown that Facebook put effort into studying their algorithm, what was going to keep the most eyeballs on the page. And they were promoting a lot of negative content, things that elicited anger. And as Sho Chu testified, and as a TikTok user, I would say, at least on my For You page, this is what happens. There is a reward for positivity. There's a reason why I'm TikTok's favorite news anchor, and it's because I'm nice. I'm the nice side of the news. I try to present things in an inclusive and in a kind way. There's no snarkiness. There's no like uh, trying to make it too hard for folks. It's just very simple. And then people get curious, and then they get to go find other sources to chase down more of that story that they're interested in, you know? So I think it's, I think need that's more of that uh, a little need bit more. more. Yeah, we, need, <laughs> we do good news every Thursday, you know, and I'm not the only one. There are so many folks over the last three years who have found an interest in government and politics and journalism and in, in sharing stories, even in the citizen journalist uh, arena, where we have folks sharing first person narratives of just this little thing that's happening in their town that they care about that would have never hit the national news. But folks are learning from those activists, oftentimes, let's say, in Georgia, of how they could do things better in Tennessee, or they're learning from folks in California about policies that they want to see in, in New York. And so I think that is really valuable. Let's talk about the Restrict Act, uh, which yes. is the bipartisan legislation supported by the Biden administration that would give the Secretary of Commerce the power to regulate or ban information and communications technology products and services like TikTok, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but not limited to TikTok, that are owned by foreign adversaries like China. I think they've also mm-hmm. listed Iran, North Korea, and, and mm-hmm. some others as well, if they are deemed a threat to national security. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about some of your problems with that bill? It's dystopian. It's it's authoritarian. It's a it's a terribly written piece of legislation and I'm honestly shocked that Mark Warner is wanting to be the face of it as a Democratic politician in Virginia. That's that's very not something I would have expected for him to be the champion of. And 
one thing about TikTok, at least, that I can say from my community is we've spent the last year training people how to read legislation, how to geek out about government and politics. So I think previously, something like the Restrict Act, if you compare it to the Patriot Act, uh, folks were kind of in a different place post 9-11. We were in a very patriotic upswing at that time. We were in a very scared place. And they were able to use fear to gain access to Americans' telecommunications. And now we're in a different place where Americans aren't just using their phone to communicate, but they're using all these apps. They're using video games chats. They're using encrypted platforms and whatnot. And so what does the government want now? Access to all of that information. And what I love about my community is the fact that people heard this bill is a TikTok ban, and then they printed out the bill and were like highlighting the different sections in it and the different powers and the different areas of vagueness that they want accountability from their Congress people and senators on, like, what is a foreign adversary? You've listed five here. Are those the only five? What would qualify for somebody to be deemed a future foreign adversary? What is um, access to telecommunications? Will you have access to all of the shit I talk when I'm playing World of Warcraft and I'm just saying stuff, you know, because I'm in a game? Like, will that be used against me? So I think folks really saw this. Um, initially, there was panic about it being a TikTok ban. Um, and there was a lot of people even on the right or the libertarian side of politics that were like, yeah, whatever ban tick. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, this is the bill we're going to use to do it? I don't think so. I don't like that. So I'm proud of the way that people have taken understanding this bill into their own hands and had big conversations about it and uh, are holding their Congress people accountable to say, you got to tighten this way up before you're going to get our sign off on it. Yeah, I'm, so I'm going to talk to Mark Warner tomorrow uh, uh, about this. and Tell him and I said hi. I will, I will. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to try to pin him down on, because I have heard a lot of the, these concerns about the language in the bill mm-hmm. being vague and open to interpretation that could potentially lead to government overreach. He, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw his like very long tweet thread a couple days ago about the bill because he said there's just a ton of misconceptions about the bill and so he sort of went through a bunch of like myths about the bill what he calls myths and then said mm-hmm. facts and the big ones he he pointed out was you know the bill doesn't actually give the u.s government any power to track what you're searching it doesn't criminalize what you can say online and it's only focused on foreign corporations not users what mm-hmm. do you make of those explanations It's not good enough. It's not good enough. We know better. We've been through this before. And to the same point that they're saying, well, TikTok isn't, we don't have any proof that TikTok is doing bad stuff right now or is overreaching or is trying to control the algorithm, but we want to ban it anyway, just in case. I'm saying, we don't have any proof in the bill then, Mark. You're saying, well, no, we wouldn't do that. But how do we know you wouldn't do that? You've done it before with the Patriot Act. And so I think this is something that we need to look at much more clearly. What I agree on, and I would say everyone I talk to agrees on, is that we want to see strong data privacy protections for Americans. Certainly, we want our data protected. But we don't want the government to be able to overreach so deeply into things like if they wanted to, why not period tracker information? If they wanted to, why not game chat? We want to make sure that we're, we're setting boundaries around some of those things that should be considered personal and private and part of a reasonable expectation of privacy under our constitutional rights. You got any questions for him that you want me to ask? Why, Mark? Why? <laughs> why, why, why? Why wouldn't you talk to anybody uh, who's well-versed in this community before you came out so hot with this bill? There are millions of Americans in Virginia in his state that are on TikTok that have businesses on TikTok. Have you talked to your constituents about how they use the platform, what it means to their life, what it means to the economic stability of your state? I think you got to look at all that stuff before we just come out and say things like, oh, well, the kids like this app, but they'll just move to another app. 
That, to me, was one of the most ignorant statements up front. It was so deductive and dismissive, and that is what is ringing in people's ears. So I would wish for him to sort of take a moment, him and my Senator Gillibrand, who I also tried to speak to about this, reflect on not just what is the platform from a tech guy's perspective, but what, how is this going to affect the community? Mm-hmm. How is this going to affect your constituents? And then try to balance that with the legislation you're writing. I want to ask you about two potential alternatives to the Restrict Act that could help solve some of these concerns. You mentioned Project Texas. Can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what that is just for people who don't know? So Project Texas is a plan that was put together by TikTok and Oracle, I believe. And the idea is that they would take any data that was housed overseas in China or wherever else, and they would move it to servers run by Oracle in Texas. That's why it's called Project Texas. And there would be a firewall between all Americans' users and any other like other government that would be able to get this stuff. Not only would they house all of that data here and have it overseen by an American company, but they would create an advisory board that would be able to audit that data and audit that system whenever they wanted. And the government would be working together with TikTok to ensure that these data privacy standards were set at the highest level, far higher than Facebook or Snapchat or any of the other companies, and could become potentially a model for better data privacy. And so you support that? I would love to see more of it. Mm. I mean, I think we're in the initial stages. It's certainly a conversation. I don't think we should just take like an off the rack plan from anyone. (laughs) I think we should have our our legislators. We've got some incredibly talented legislators. They're coming out of the top law schools in this country, constitutional geniuses. Like I want Jamie Raskin to look at it. I trust Jamie Raskin. Take a look at Project Texas and show me like where you think it needs improvement. But let's work on it instead of just doing what America so often does, which is we're scared of something. Let's annihilate it. Let's not annihilate it. Let's work on how we sort of protect and and fix something that people really use and care about. Some people have argued that the best outcome would be forcing ByteDance to sell TikTok <laughs> yeah. to an American company. I think that's what the Biden administration strategy seems to be by saying that they sort of support the Restrict Act, but only, you know, if, t- if, if ByteDance sells, then they'll be good. What do you think about that potential outcome? Sell to who, John? I want them to finish the sentence. Sell to who? I think we get to know that, right? So sell, sure. Where else in the world has anyone ever said to an American company or anyone else, good job building your incredibly productive business now give it to me. That's not how that's not how democracy or American enterprise or capitalism is supposed to work, right? So but if we are going to do a forced sale, sell to who? Which one of the billionaires is the lucky boy who gets to buy TikTok? Is it Elon? Uh, is don't it want that. Uh, No, is it Mark? Is it Larry Ellison? Don't want that either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like who's it going to be? Is it Jeff Bezos? Is it the guy from Walmart? Like that's my question. Sell to who? Show me, show me the money, Joe. Show me the guys. Show me who it's going to be. And then we can start to work towards, you know, what does that look like? Okay. Should TikTok uh, be a public utility? Is this the one that we test in that way and we create some sort of like governing board that that has like a citizen's input? I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, like sell that. to who? So most polls about this show that most Americans favor ban on TikTok with the unsurprising exception of, of younger Americans, most of whom oppose the ban, though a majority of younger Americans still say they're concerned about the privacy risks. For people who don't use TikTok, who aren't as familiar what would you say about what it means to you personally and the community you're part of thanks to the mm-hmm. app? You've talked about this a, a couple times in the interview. 
So I think that Pastor Sarah, who's a good friend of mine and a TikTok collaborator, said it best, which is even if you don't belong to this community, you can recognize that there are people that find this deeply important to them and to their survival. And for her in particular, she talks about the online ministry that she has built through TikTok over the pandemic when in-person services were not a possibility, and how many other faith leaders from different religions, Christian included, were able to build these really robust ministries. And something like a TikTok ban coming in would be tantamount to burning down her church and saying, well, there's a synagogue next door. It's the same thing, right? House of worship. Who cares? Go over there. And I think that has been helpful for me explaining it to some of my parents, friends, some other people who are on TikTok, and they get that. They're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. We can't just expect that we can just like take something like that from someone and move it over here. And I certainly wouldn't want that to happen to me. So like, what can we do so that you know, other uh, uh, constitutional rights aren't being infringed upon because we're in pursuit of this like perfect security solution. So I want people to think about it that way when they think about TikTok. It is not a children's dancing app. One in four Americans get their news from TikTok. And I'm going to tell you why that shouldn't scare you, why that's a good idea. If you look at the TikTok news, oftentimes folks are doing either original reporting from their small town about something that's happening to them, or you see screenshots of where they read the article because they're standing in front of it because that's TikTok culture. So look at it. You're seeing Fox News. You're seeing CNN. You're seeing Wall Street Journal. You're seeing Washington Post, New York Times. You're seeing The Guardian, the Al Jazeera. You're seeing all of these other outlets that we want people to believe are trusted media, that are legacy vetted media, incredible journalists. And they've read those articles and now they're telling their friends on this platform about that article. And then you could go back and read that article or they're putting the bill up and they're saying right here in the bill, it says this. You could go on Congress.gov and read those bills. So I think I think that's an important thing for folks to remember and to be gentle about. OK, uh, V Spear, thank you so much for coming on offline. Under the Desk News is fantastic. Everyone should go check it out and uh, come back again soon. This was great. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate being here. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. 
The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Welcome back. Next up on Offline's TikTok hearing, Chinese technology expert Graham Webster. Here's Max Fisher's interview with Graham. If you want to understand whether TikTok poses a special danger to Americans, you need to look at the technical side of the story, the way that your data is moved around and stored and how it could be exploited, which all works a bit differently than you might have heard. But you also need to understand the unusual nature of Chinese tech companies like ByteDance, which owns TikTok, and the particular pressures and obligations they face from operating in China. Graham Webster is an expert in both of these subjects. He's a research scholar at Stanford, where he studies and writes about China's tech sector, as well as Chinese law, policy, and foreign relations around technology. Graham, welcome to Offline. Thanks for having me. So, Graham, we're going to talk about what merit there is or isn't in American concerns about TikTok being exploited by the Chinese government and the company's proposed solution for all of this. But I wanted to start on a very basic level with the two main charges against the service. The first is that TikTok could send data on American users, things like their physical location or browsing history back to the Chinese government, which could pose a privacy threat as well as a potential national security threat if it's gathering data from Americans who work in sensitive fields. And the second concern is that TikTok could use its algorithm, the thing that chooses what videos and topics its users see, to push certain ideas or narratives to its 150 million U.S. users or to suppress or censor topics in ways that could serve the interests of the Chinese government. We're going to get in a minute into the thornier question of how likely it is that these things could happen. But first, could you tell me what we know very concretely about whether or not they are happening now? Right. Yeah. So this is um, these things are not actually that clear and, and it's not unreasonable to be concerned about them in the long term. Um, but one has to look at the details. And so TikTok in the past uh, and up to now, it's 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 a little unclear how things are arranged. But in the past, uh, had very strong connections between engineering teams and other teams in Beijing uh, at the parent company hmm. ByteDance uh, and the U.S. slash international operation. So quite reasonable to have a concern that either through, you know, just leaning on an engineer or, or some formal mechanism, the Chinese government might try to get user data out of uh, TikTok uh, for some priority that it has. Now the company has been moving that U.S. user data into servers that are in the United States under control of Oracle, and they have a whole plan uh, that they say would have mm. it be more supervised. On the censorship issues, there have been a couple of documented cases where it seemed as if certain topics that were unfriendly to the propaganda authorities in China uh, were being suppressed or, or things that were, you know, Chinese government friendly were being boosted. But these are documented from months ago, at least, and, and in previous years. And again, this is a thing where TikTok is trying to convince the world mm. that it has ways that it can implement to confidently prevent this from happening in the future. So, you know, the rational concerns, the size of the risk is really hard to nail down. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I want to read to you from a technical assessment of TikTok made in 2021 by researchers at the University of Toronto, because I think it's helpful here. 
TikTok, quote, does not appear to exhibit overtly malicious behavior similar to those exhibited by malware. We did not observe TikTok collecting contact lists, recording and sending photos, audio, video, geolocation coordinates without user permission, end quote. In other words, they couldn't find evidence that the TikTok app was doing the sorts of nefarious things that lawmakers and others have accused it of hypothetically being able to do. But the research director behind that report has since objected to TikTok holding up their conclusions as necessarily exonerating. The research director, Ron Divert, said last week, quote, Broadly speaking, we found that it was similar to other social media apps, a vacuum cleaner of personal data. This is not a good thing, end quote. And he went on to say that the researchers had no way of knowing what happens to user data once it goes back to TikTok servers, which is not proof that something bad is happening, but is reason for concern. And he also added that the Chinese government could potentially use, quote, unconventional techniques to obtain TikTok user data through pressure on ByteDance. So, Graham, TikTok's owner, ByteDance, is actually trying to address both of these concerns, and you alluded to this, about what happens to user data once it lands in their servers, and about the potential for government pressure from China through something it's calling Project Texas. Can you walk us through what that is and how it would, at least in theory, address these concerns? Yeah. So the proposal is called Project Texas. And fundamentally, it does a couple of things. Uh, For those who might see the video, I've got this diagram of the best uh, explanation in public about it. It's a pretty complicated proposal, but fundamentally, US user data would be stored in uh, the United States in servers operated by Oracle, the the U.S. Uh, data company, and a new company would be created called U.S. Data Services, USDS, which would have a mm. whole network of different types of audits under the supervision of the United States government and looking at questions of who has access to user data and making sure that that is limited to people who are trusted, looking at questions of whether the engineering of the app itself uh, meets cybersecurity standards, looking at questions of how data moves in and out of U.S. users, because of course, TikTok isn't just a U.S. platform. And we're going to want to have, if you're going to have this solution, American users are going to have to be able to interact with people around the world. And, you know, there are a ton of details here, but fundamentally, it's a bunch of auditing relationships on specific security risks. And many of them in the proposal would be auditors looking at what TikTok's doing in the United States with its new USDS and Oracle solution. And then those auditors would be reporting to CFIUS, this American interagency security group. Now, some of this uh, very expensive process, because of course, they're going to have to pay Oracle a lot of money to do this and pay a bunch of other auditors is already underway. We don't know how much TikTok has given briefings to journalists and think tankers to try to, you know, socialize and get the word out about their plans to address these security concerns. But it's kind of unclear how far they've gone already. Uh, And it's very unclear whether this will satisfy the US government after the best public account of this plan was made public after some of these briefings. The Biden administration has indicated that it's basically interested in forcing a spin-off, a sale of TikTok, or, or at least the U.S. unit, to a non-Chinese company, and that that ownership shift is what would address U.S. concerns. So, the, you know, the between that and the the sort of the noise machine on Capitol Hill, and and just the general ongoing controversy, it's really uncertain 
whether this mitigation plan called Project Texas will, will really have a chance to take root and, and be given a shot. But the basic idea, and, and tell me if I have this right, is that U.S. user data and more than that, a lot of the moderation of the app, a lot of the uh, back-end code for the app, um, in theory, the algorithm for the app, although I'm a little skeptical of that personally, but all of these elements would be housed not just in the U.S., but they would be housed with Oracle, an American company, and it would be under a set of audits and layers of supervision in which CFIUS, this U.S. agency, would also be involved in things like reviewing the code for the TikTok app and reviewing how the data is stored so that, at least in theory, what TikTok and ByteDance are trying to convince us of is that so much of how the app works and our data is held would be in the U.S. and under U.S. supervision that we wouldn't have to worry as much about the concerns that people have about the company. Is that right? Right. I'm, fundamentally, this is a proposal uh, where TikTok is finding, they're trying to find a way to mm -hmm. credibly commit that they're taking measures to uh, put blocks up that prevent those security risks that we were talking about. And they're trying to make that credible through, like I said, a, a pretty expensive process. I mean, this is, this is not the most efficient business process if you're just trying to run it. Uh, a, a mobile app, um, you'd have a code auditor that, again, looking at my diagram, it'd be reporting directly to CFIUS. And it would be the code auditor itself would be approved by CFIUS, although it would be nominated by Oracle, and it would be examining the code inside of the USDS system. There's all these sorts of details mm -hmm. that, you know, frankly, would need to be evaluated to have a really good understanding. But my thinking on this is that if you're really simply concerned about these specific security risks, something like this ought to be enough to convince a reasonable observer uh, that the risks are mitigated because there's never going to be no risk in data. And there's also you know, numerous other ways that uh, an adversary like the Chinese national security state can get at personal data of uh, US users or can try to, to press you know, propaganda or other sort of persuasive uh, campaigns internationally. So, you know, this would be about trying to both shut down those potential risks and do it convincingly in a way that satisfies the decisive people in the U.S. government. Right. The the point you made about credible commitments is an important one that I, I want to come back to because, of course, part of ByteDance's challenge is they can make a credible commitment on behalf of ByteDance, but it's harder for them to make a credible commitment on behalf of the Chinese government, which are, even though this doesn't always get made clear in American coverage, those are very separate entities. But first, I wanted to ask you about something else. You wrote recently that... It's easy to imagine China wanting to exploit TikTok to spy on Americans. But when you consider the actual concrete scenarios for how this would work in a world of Project Texas style protections, it feels a little bit less likely. So can you explain those scenarios and how they would actually work? Yeah. So there's a big difference from when all the user data was available in Beijing and you might just lean on one engineer to say, extricate everything on one user or on a set of users, you know, under a Project Texas-like solution, first of all, if they wanted all of the data on American users, this would just be an absolutely colossal data exchange uh, between servers. And it would be the type of thing that any competent cybersecurity uh, department of a company, certainly Oracle would be capable of observing that. So they wouldn't be able to just pull everything across in the way that some people say is already uh, 
a, a fact. Um, and then there's a the question of could they target individuals? And I, you know, I think if you're a really determined, you know, national security operator and and you work to to try to compromise individuals in a company, yeah, it's it's always going to be a risk. The insider threat risk is real in any company. And even a sort of Oracle slash Project Texas arrangement wouldn't prevent that if, you know, if they compromise somebody one way or the other, paying them off or, or, you know, blackmailing them who's working in a secure role. Now, those people would be vetted to some extent and, you know, Project Texas is arranged to make that harder. But then you're wondering, what are they actually going to get on an individual user if they go through that level or on a set of users, if they're targeting dissidents or if they're targeting people that they think pose special threats to Chinese interests? And, you know, there's some pretty intrusive stuff in there. There's a bunch of location history. There's what people have been browsing on. There's a bit of social graph, other users that they've, you know, follow and interact with. But this is, you know, not uh, (laughs) really kind of revolutionary data in most cases, if you're an intelligence agency really targeting individuals, because you could also target them through other apps, things that would not be under this scrutiny, such as TikTok is. Um, There are just dozens and dozens and hundreds of apps on the major app stores that have trackers, advertising trackers, other sort of data trackers. This is how the whole digital economy works in the United States, where Apps collect information about you. They collect information across apps and websites to the extent possible. Apple's tried to cut down on this a little bit, but it's still just a thriving market. And people are supposed to be de-identified, but they're easily re-identifiable. If you if you know where somebody lives and where somebody works, and you see that their dot goes there and there, and uh, you know th- this type of data science is is demonstrated to be quite easy. So if you're targeting individuals for that type of information, location data, some some browsing data. Why would you bother breaking into this sort of highly mm. scrutinized Project Texas TikTok versus trawling around the data broker economy, you know, using a bunch of ad networks? Right. It's not a zero risk. It's it's a real thing that could happen. But it it it's harder to understand how TikTok specifically in a Project Texas arrangement would be especially enabling uh, the Chinese authorities. Right. Right. I mean, there's. I know there's. There's so much of our data is already available on the kind of like dark web digital black market, which is a, not a case for saying like, well, we should just throw out all privacy whatsoever. No, and just I mean it's a catastrophe it, from my just, perspective. I mean, it's it's really awful. We ought to be doing <laughs> right. things about it. Yeah. Right. But it's just to say that we sometimes talk as if TikTok is the only possible vector by which a Chinese spy agency could get data on Americans. But in fact, there are many demonstrated tools that they have to get that data if they are determined to do so. And in fact, TikTok under Project Texas Style Protections is one of the less attractive avenues for them to do it. So the kind of way that we overtly focus on it is a little bit misleading. And it it kind of sounds like to me, if you're someone who is potentially a very, very high interest to the Chinese government, like say you work in a sense of military or foreign policy job, you do probably want to delete TikTok from your phone. Or if you're a Chinese national who fled China, especially for political reasons, or because you belong to a persecuted Chinese minority groups that have been very aggressively targeted by China, even within the US, you probably want to delete TikTok 
from your phone. And it's not for nothing that a number of governments have already banned the use of TikTok for government officials because Chinese authorities have certainly demonstrated, you said, that they're willing to get quite assertive in targeting those sorts of people and so could conceivably go the extra mile to grab up their TikTok user data. But for everyone else, probably your TikTok data, if it's put under strong enough protections like those ByteDance is proposing and if those proposals kind of hold up to scrutiny, it's not super likely your data is going to end up on Xi Jinping's desk. Not because we trust Xi Jinping, but just because this wouldn't really make a ton of sense as a vector for them for spying on Americans. Um, But I want to talk about the other category of concerns about TikTok, that ByteDance could be made to use the app to influence what Americans see in service of the Chinese government, because after all, they've already been a number of social media influence operations in the U.S. linked back to the Chinese government, although those have been through things like Twitter bot networks and not through, as far as we know, any manipulation of TikTok's algorithm. And Beijing, of course, has been getting more aggressive about pushing even American companies to censor what they say about topics that China cares about, like Taiwan or Hong Kong. So it's not hard to imagine them pressuring a Chinese company like ByteDance over the same thing. Uh, And it's possible I might be a little bit more worried about this than you are, but you have smart reasons against totally panicking about this possibility. And one of them is related to how the Chinese government actually works and the fact that the agency that oversees tech companies is very different from the parts of the Chinese government that oversee propaganda and censorships. So can you talk about that and about what it tells us about how we should think about this risk? Yeah. So, uh, you know, fundamentally, this is again an area where I don't think the risk is zero, but I think it's way overblown uh, in the current discussion that we're having. A lot of this discussion is premised on the idea that a malign actor could successfully intentionally change the algorithm in a way that would achieve their goals in terms of changing the views of Americans. And that science of persuasion in general is already, you know, pretty tough. Uh, So just getting it right, even if you had full access and achieving your goals, isn't, it's not clear that that's super easy uh, for a malign actor. But the reason that it's, it's a bit more complicated than um, we often hear in the U.S. commentary is they say, well, ByteDance is, you know, it operates at the pleasure of the Chinese government. And that's definitely true, uh, especially for ByteDance's domestic uh, Chinese platforms. Um, Douyin is the Chinese domestic version of TikTok. Uh, They operate another company or another platform called Toutiao, which is a, a sort of news feed app that is very addictive and, you know, full of trashy, you know, flashy headlines. But these apps have to follow the very strict uh, content censorship, you know, user monitoring, et cetera, regulations that any company inside China has to follow. And and they're subject to enforcement by primarily the Cyberspace Administration of China, which is an agglomeration of different authorities for both public safety and public security, as well as censorship and propaganda. They receive regular updates as to what topics are not to be discussed on the Chinese platforms. Uh, They have independent responsibility to try to avoid, you know, runaway rumors or anyway, cascades of information that the government doesn't want that could cause trouble from the perspective of the government. You know, it's a very tough compliance regime. And this is something that all Chinese platforms have adapted to. This is different from the groups of people who go about 
putting together influence campaigns and botnets abroad. This is that sort of foreign propaganda role is wrapped up in cyber operators across potentially the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, uh, the Ministry of State Security, the, the sort of foreign intelligence arm. There's obviously some function of trying to change people's views about China from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And then there's the sort of, you know, sometimes misunderstood, but still fairly active uh, united front uh, element of, of the party state that uh, tries to align people's views abroad with party state goals. So it's not as if the CAC, the Cyberspace Administration of China, gets on the phone with ByteDance and says, okay, we're not going to discuss you know, this embarrassing thing that happened to a Chinese diplomat on the Chinese internet. And also, by the way, uh, just go right over to TikTok and, and mess with that discourse too. And I, I don't exclude the possibility that the Chinese government will try to more systematically affect discourse abroad. And I, I think that its efforts, including botnets and including more overt foreign propaganda have been getting, I don't know about more widespread. There's been a lot of efforts over the years. I think they might be getting a little more savvy year by year. But when you mm-hmm. look at the stuff and you look at the botnets that get taken down by companies like Twitter and Facebook, and then researchers go through them, I mean, they don't get much engagement. It's The, the content is pretty schlocky. It's not very slick foreign propaganda at yeah. this point. And so it's my estimate of how effective the Chinese government would be at trying to use alleged and not to my knowledge, actually existing special access to the TikTok algorithm. I just don't think they're ready to do it effectively. So it's mm-hmm. at, at, at most, it's a longer term concern. And again, mm-hmm. I don't know if Project Texas as proposed would effectively head all of that off, but I think that it ought to be possible if people are willing to do it to set up an auditing and monitoring regime that would fairly confidently uh, make that very difficult to achieve. One other, I think, point of concern is that Xi Jinping has in the past couple of years really emphasized within China that private Chinese companies can't just focus on making money anymore, that they need to ensure that they are actively promoting the core national interests of China. And the word that she hammers over and over again in defining those interests is security. I know there are a couple of ways to read that. Would it be a misreading to see that as a reason to worry that the Chinese government could or might seek to push ByteDance to leverage TikTok towards these kind of Chinese national interests? I don't think we think that Chinese companies are shrugging this off and saying we can just ignore the old man. So it's it's a question of, and I would think what we have to worry about is how are the people at ByteDance reading it when she comes out and says, you, a Chinese tech company, now have to focus on security and the core national interests of China. You can't just make money. Right. I mean, so fundamentally, the way I think they read that is domestic security. I mean, this is a, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's quite clear that uh, just as a general analyst of Chinese politics over the years, the national security concern is fundamentally about how is China doing at home? Is the Communist Party-led political system secure uh, from threats, both external and internal? Is it effective mm-hmm. and continuing to you know, provide enough benefits for people that it prevents um, major opposition? And, and is repression effective enough to, to prevent opposition that does exist from, from flowering into a real threat? So I think, you know, to some extent, I mean, if you really talk to Chinese business people, you know, they read from the hymnal, they'll go to the meetings, they'll repeat the stuff. But like, 
I'm right. sorry, but they know it's bullshit. Like it's it's not like everybody's <laughs> like, oh, the you know the the top leaders talking about security again. It, it, it's just how it works. I mean, people in the Communist Party, people throughout the throughout mm. society, are used to these these grave intonations, and mm. they're also used to looking for well, what does this actually mean for me? And recently, I think it means don't act out of line, don't question when mm. your sector is being regulated in a way that uh, you know Jack Ma from from Alibaba and, and and financial had this experience a couple of years ago you know don't push beyond what they want to do in in financial regulation for instance so it's you, right. you're looking for boundaries but you know taking everything too literally it would provoke a chuckle among you know people who actually work in the Chinese system it's the, these things are you know sometimes I get made fun of by my Chinese friends and and you know colleagues and universities and think tanks for reading so closely and translating this is what we do in our, our Stanford project is we, we translate Chinese tech policy and commentary and speeches and that type of thing and you know they'll tease me for for focusing so much on on what the you know the top leader said in one of these things so that they say oh yeah you really know the you know the score and it's there's a sense of um people have a sense of humor about it i mean i think sometimes especially now that we're very isolated from one another uh since the covid period mm. there's a tendency to forget that you know chinese people have a sense of humor they live under the, these conditions they've noticed freedoms decreasing they know some of its bs they also know some of its dead serious and analysts sure. abroad i think need to be careful about that and and not just take everything literally it's an important admonition that we need to try to listen to this, not as Americans, but to listen to it and hear it within the context that a Chinese tech company yeah. will hear. We're, it, we're not the audience could, for this, really. Right, right. And we need to understand the context in which these messages are being sent to ByteDance in order to know what they mean. So I think that where I am left with all of this, and tell me if you think this is fair, is that on the one hand, we don't really have evidence that China is using TikTok to spy on Americans or to manipulate American public sentiment. And there's meaningful if circumstantial reason to doubt whether China even would do this, not because we trust China, but because the technical provisions of TikTok's proposed plan for operating in the US would make spying, at least on mass via TikTok, not very attractive as an option. What we know about the Chinese state's priorities and its oversight of tech companies like ByteDance maybe points away, at least at the moment, from Beijing wanting to wield TikTok as a tool of explicit overseas influence and propaganda. But on the other hand, if, like me, you feel that social media companies in general already have access to way too much personal private information on Americans and that social media already wields way too much influence over our society and politics to the point that platforms like Facebook and YouTube can sow mass conspiracies and extremism without those companies even intending to do so, then why would you tolerate even the possibility, even if we think it's remote, that an adversarial foreign government could intentionally wield that power in hostility against us. Because even if we believe ByteDance is unlikely to want that, and they are going to great lengths, like you said, to try to signal that they don't want that, we know that it operates in an environment where companies are expected to serve China's national interests at a time where we've seen the ferociousness of the Chinese government spying and censorship and media manipulation certainly domestically, also in places like Hong Kong. And we know the Chinese government, whether you think this is China's fault or America's fault, sees itself as increasingly in conflict with the United States. So is that is that kind of a fair way to balance the kind of cases for and against worrying about this, do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think there's still there's quite a bit that we we don't know. Um, and you know, a couple of things that uh, mm. push in the direction of being skeptical of of TikTok. One is that the company has a bunch of documented bad behavior in the last couple of years, notwithstanding the efforts that they're trying to put together on Project Texas. I mean, these are efforts that are being built out of a period where it was exposed that engineers in Beijing had more access than was probably reasonable to user data. It was exposed Mm -hmm. that the company worried about leaks, used TikTok account data from a journalist or two or three to try to figure out who their source was, right? And this is the company spying on people. And that's, you know, it shouldn't be acceptable. They're, They're not the only company to do that. There was a case where Uber did this when they were being particularly disgusting a few years ago too. My point is that TikTok has is not a great case study for this question of of US and China doing business together despite distrust. And one more mm. reason that some people might just want to throw in the towel and, and get rid of TikTok is just disgust. I mean, there's a sense that some people have that doing business with China simply isn't worth it because it legitimizes authoritarian rule, it legitimizes repression, it legitimizes crimes against humanity or genocide or however you want to define it, what's what's been going on in Xinjiang, especially a few years ago, but still ongoing in different ways. Um, and that sense of disgust and, and desire not to be involved, um, I think is reasonable. But that comes with risks, right? Yeah, the risk is if we uh, if we just give up and ban TikTok and say we're not going to deal with the specifics of the risks of TikTok, we're not going to consider whether this elaborate uh, and expensive supervisory uh, arrangement could actually just eliminate those risks and allow us to have uh, you know to continue doing business in this way. You know that sets a precedent for just tearing up connections mm. uh, further and further at a time when we've already been doing that across much of the economy, for instance, with semiconductors, with other things. And and this decoupling trend is ongoing. It's not going to be turned back. But that engages some broader risks, uh, which are basically that one way or the other, like it or not, Americans and Chinese are going to have to live with each other on Earth. Whether or not there's geopolitical conflict, some degree of even mutual disgust among the population, or just at least differences of opinions. Uh, you know, we are we're sort of stuck with each other, and and that that's the stuff that to me keeps me going, uh, studying and trying to uh, provide knowledge in English on a on a field that frankly can be pretty depressing. I mean, a lot of it's a lot of it's going badly. So why study all this stuff? Why spend all this time on these these issues that that aren't going well? Well, it's because we're going to have to confront it. And, mm. and just saying, ah, oh, well, I'm not going to deal with it. Let's ban it. Maybe that's the right answer after careful consideration and looking at the risks and saying, now we, we just can't mitigate these risks. And they really are strong enough that as a society, we think they justify, you know, severing these ties. But to do so kind of rashly, as would be the case uh, if it went forward right now, I just think it... Uh, would be another step in the wrong direction uh, um, and, and kind of putting our heads in the sand and pretending that we can just ignore each other. Graham, thank you for joining Offline. Thanks for having me. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. 
All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. And finally, my conversation with Virginia Senator Mark Warner. Senator Warner is the author and lead sponsor of the Restrict Act, a piece of legislation that gives the United States government the power to take action against tech companies like TikTok that are owned by foreign adversaries like China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. That action could involve restrictions or an outright ban, though it would still involve a long process, and as Senator Warner says, TikTok would still have its day in court. The bill has generated bipartisan support, but also some vocal opposition from Democrats, Republicans, civil libertarians, and people like V. I wanted to talk to Senator Warner about what's in the bill and why he feels so strongly that we need it. Senator Mark Warner, welcome to Offline. Thank you, John. We are trying to solve the great debate over whether or not it's time to ban TikTok on this episode, uh, which I know you found yourself in the middle of. So I thought you could make the case for the Restrict Act, uh, which gives the Commerce Secretary the authority to take action against tech products and services owned by foreign adversaries that they deem national security threats. But before we get into the details of Restrict, can you walk us through the story of how you first became so concerned about TikTok that it led you and Senator Thune to uh, write this legislation? Well, John, thanks for the question. And let me give kind of two lead-ups. First of all, you know, TikTok is just one more example over the last few years where we've seen foreign-based technology um, from adversarial nations, and the law defines those adversarial nations as China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, and Venezuela, where we really have not had any you know, rules-based approach that could stand up in court to take on these issues. Seven or eight years ago, it was Kaspersky, a Russian software company. It took us years to get it off the government acquisition list. A few years back, people may have heard of the concerns about Huawei and ZTE, the Chinese telecom companies that were pretty shown to have a back door where somehow your communications could be somehow uh, siphoned off into China. Now it's TikTok. Um, but we thought we needed something that rather than this whack-a-mole approach where it's one-off, raise a red flag, figure out how to make the case that was rules-based, that still gave any of the foreign-based technology their day in court, where the Intelligence Committee, and I'm chairman of the Intelligence Committee, you know, has to disclose more so it's not just trust us. Uh, so that's one 
precedent that we wanted to deal with. The other was, and people have said, is I've gotten a lot of incoming. Well, you know, yeah, TikTok's got a problem, but what about Facebook? What about YouTube? And let me be the first to say, there's a lot of problems with American social media. And Congress has done squat over the last six or seven years. I think about when we first discovered some of these problems with Russian interference in the 2016 election. So I strongly support a national privacy bill. I strongly support a kid's online safety bill. I strongly support a bill that would reform Section 230 so these Facebook or YouTube don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card regardless of the content. I strongly support things like something banning dark patterns, malicious activities, or data portability and interoperability. I was a telecom guy, so I'm a little bit of a tech nerd. Um, and those ought to go forward. We've not been successful, uh, but we need legislation to those areas. But there is something different when we're talking about an entity that at the end of the day, TikTok is owned by ByteDance. ByteDance is a Chinese company. The Chinese changed their law in 2016, 2017 to make a requirement that at the end of the day, every Chinese company has to answer to the Communist Party of China, not to shareholders, not to customers. And that's just the law. And the potential for abuse, I think, is great. Now, what's the potential abuse? Remember, 150 million Americans use TikTok on average, about 90 minutes a day. So that means a lot of folks are using it two and three hours a day. And there are two huge concerns. One is an enormous amount of data is being collected by TikTok. And ultimately, if the CCP, and let me be clear here, my beef is with the Communist Party, it's with President Xi's leadership, authoritarianism. It's not with the Chinese people. It's not with the Chinese Americans or the Chinese diaspora any in the, anywhere in the world. But the ability of the CCP to obtain that data, and there have been plenty of press reports that they have been doing this, ought to scare folks. I mean, if you're a young person and part of the magic of TikTok is figuring out what you like, maybe even before you know it, to have that, that data point reside somewhere that could be potentially used for blackmail or other nefarious purposes ought to be concerning. The second is this whole question of uh, content manipulation and propaganda. You got 150 million uh, Americans watching uh, this distribution model, you know, 90 minutes a day, if Xi Jinping says, all right, I want to start floating in videos that reinforce the notion that, you know, I want to help my buddy Vladimir Putin. So let's make clear that Ukraine is really part of, of Russia or that, you know, Taiwan really has always been part of China. So the ability to subtly put in uh, misinformation, disinformation or propaganda, I believe, raises it to that level of concern that this is a national security risk. And I also believe that, that, you know, if we were to take action, whether it's through a divestment that actually gives up the source code or actually a prohibition, that the market will create another entity because there's a lot of creativity on, on TikTok. There's a, I've met with a lot of people who make their living as social influencers off of TikTok. And I think that um, ability uh, should and will be preserved uh, in, in the marketplace. I just want to go back to the personal data point. Like what kind of personal data are we talking about here? Because I've seen a bunch of different reports on this. Is it like data that it gathers from the app, like your phone number or contacts or what topics you're searching for in the app? Or could it also potentially see your keystrokes, text messages, things you're doing on the phone when not using the app? Or, or don't we know? Well, 
I think the potential of all of the above is there. And, you know, I think that the question becomes is we fully don't know and we don't know how, um, you, how dramatic and draconian the giant data suck uh, could be. I would point out that this is not just, you know, something that's happening in the United States. I mean, remember, we banned TikTok off of military phones two or three years ago. We banned it off of government phones more recently. But this is not an American-only phenomena. You know, Canada has banned it off of government phones. The Brits have. The Europeans have. India banned it outright three years ago. And then you've got countries like Britain again and the Dutch, for example, that have said to all of their journalists, hey, get off TikTok because chances are the Chinese uh, Communist Party are monitoring you. Um, just this week, Australia took an action to ban. So this is not an American-only phenomena. And there have been evidence, plenty of stories, BuzzFeed stories, other stories, TikTok um, whistleblowers um, who've indicated that uh, regardless of what TikTok says, Chinese engineers are getting access to this data. And there's been a particular focus on journalists. It seems to me that one of the big challenges here is that everyone keeps hearing that TikTok could be a national security threat, but the strongest evidence to support that claim seems like it could be classified intelligence. Is that right? Yeah, I think the intel community, you know, and and everyone, the FBI has said shouldn't be on, CIA, NSA, you name them, all the three-letter agencies have in public testimony say this is a security concern. We need to do a better job of forcing them to disclose. But I, I will tell you, you know, that, even with the disclosure, there'll be more evidence. But the greatest problem here is not what ByteDance is requiring TikTok to do today. Mm. It is this potential harm. And, you know, so I may not ever convince, I mean, uh, you know, libertarians and free speech at, you know, free speech, uh, you know, it, on the edges. Um, but I think about, it took us a number of years to convince a lot of people about Huawei, what finally kind of, I think, pushed the, the needle where everybody said, holy heck, was when you look at where Huawei, which is pretty decent equipment for wireless communication, pretty decent equipment was selling these systems at a re greatly reduced rate in the United States. They were selling them to small telcos and it was almost a hundred percent match with where our intercontinental ballistic missile systems were. So, there was a aha moment where they said, well, maybe that's a little weird and maybe we shouldn't wait till a conflict comes and then all of the phones don't work around our missile systems uh, to kind of make the case. Some uh, members of Congress have asked for classified briefings before uh, they take a vote on this bill. Is that is that something you think? Yeah, I think we ought to be doing classified briefings to anyone he wants. And remember, we've got on this bill and John, you know, the sausage making process where I work. I mean, I got 26 senators, 13 Republicans, 13 Democrats. It kind of crosses the the agenda um, of conservative to liberal in both caucuses. The administration has been supportive. But I don't underestimate the fact um, that, you know, this is still going to be a slog. Uh, you know, we have not done any technology regulation of American or other entities literally in the last seven years of any meaning 
individual states have done some stuff, but the federal government hasn't. And we are now seeing TikTok spending $100 million in lobbying. There is not a political publication around that hasn't had TikTok sponsor them in the last couple of weeks. And somebody said the other night they were watching TV and on three different programs, they saw three different TikTok ads. So we're going to fight this, but it does say something that if the lobbying efforts and the misinformation and disinformation coming from a Chinese-owned entity can you know, make Congress kind of cower, that doesn't speak very well about how we're ever going to grapple with some of the very real, I think, mental health issues for kids from Facebook and YouTube and, and American entities. We've been talking a little bit about uh, Project Texas on this episode, in particular to uh, Graham Webster, who's an expert in Chinese tech at Stanford. He basically said that in a scenario where Project Texas is operational and those protections are in place, a determined Chinese spy agency could probably still get sensitive user information, but that going after TikTok user data specifically would actually just not be that attractive of an option to the to the Chinese. What do you think about that and just Project Texas in general, if that were to happen? Well, Project Texas, Project Texas, and and you, know, the devil's definitely in the details here. And I'm not enough of a technology expert to make sure everything is buttoned up. I can tell you when TikTok first talked to me and they brought in their team and I had my experts there, it didn't pass the smell test. Um, but let's assume for a moment that you can guarantee, and, and, and nothing says about what happens to the data that China has already acquired, but on a going forward basis, I mean, I can believe hypothetically that you could have a big enough firewall that American data is protected. So that's issue number one. But issue number two, if the source code the algorithm that's a special sauce that makes TikTok so addictive still resides in Beijing. And that source code is always being, an algorithm is always being improved. And those updates are still being sent to phones on users in the rest of the world. That's a vulnerability about the ability to still be a propaganda tool. So if there was a, a Project Texas and a divestiture and the Chinese are willing to give up the source code, then you got me really interested that, that we've sealed off the problem. But so far, at least, the Chinese government has said they would rather see TikTok banned than give up the source code. And I hope for people who are wondering, well, is this really a malicious issue, that that might be a, a bit of an argument, a convincing argument as well. But so the source code is an issue with the propaganda problem, not necessarily the personal data problem, if you had protections yes. in place with Project Texas. Right. Agreed. You can, I, the, the data problem, data problem, I think is easier to wall off than the propaganda issue. If the propag if the source code still resides in China, because any no matter what kind of software you have, you know, think about on your phones how many times you get an mm. update, you know, and you gotta have that update. That's just the nature of software. And my fear is that if that updates are continuing to come from Beijing, the possibility of malicious activity coming with those updates is a, a very real threat. Uh, let's talk about the Restrict Act, um, which, as you mentioned, has both bipartisan support and bipartisan opposition, freaking out a lot of civil liberties advocates like the ACLU. I've seen some people call it the Patriot Act on steroids. Why is the Restrict Act not the Patriot Act on steroids? We have taken the underlying law is called IESA. It was back in the 1970s and 80s. It gave the government power to go after, again, certain foreign-based technology. There is going to always be a higher standard 
with communications technology. Again, let me be clear. TikTok, if we have this bill becomes law and the Commerce Secretary tries to make the case, TikTok will get their day in court, um, number one. Number two, the idea that this is somehow going after individual Americans is a flat-out lie. Uh, this is part of the disinformation campaign that's going on. Um, we are going after foreign-owned corporations from these six countries and potentially their executive leadership, but there is no ability for Restrict to go after an individual American user. What I've heard is these propositions, you ban TikTok, somebody still wants to get on, they use a VPN to kind of go around any barrier and still get access to TikTok. There would be no penalty to individual uh, Americans. And if is, there are ways... Is there something in, is there something in the language? Because I've seen some people, I know that there's probably, TikTok's probably pushing this as well, but I've seen some other people just look at the language in the bill and say, well, it says any individual or person who goes on the ban that, website. That, yeah, the penalty provision we took from IESA, which is existing law, and there was actually another law that got passed on space in the name of right now that got 89 votes, like, um, you know, just a few years ago. But I'll be the first. If there are ways that we can make more explicitly clear and double underline and put an explanation point uh, in the legislative process to make clear we're not going after individuals and that's not the intent, I'm wide open to that. You know, that's that's one of the reasons why the bill ought to get marked up. The bill ought to go through the normal legislative process. And if there are improvements, you know, uh, let's have at it. Um, we think that what we need is something that is not, you know, what I would fear right now is you've got the potential for government action that's arbitrary, or you've got the potential, which I don't think is a good precedent, where we go out and name in a specific law a specific application. Some of my colleagues have got that approach. I think that even raises constitutional issues about a bill of attainder. I think that also clearly invites, you know, specific retaliation. You know, you name company X, we're going to name company Y. Um, and I think we need a rules-based approach. Frankly, we knew we'd never probably get the ACLU, but for people who are, are you know, advocates of free speech, you know, and, and I put myself in that category, I think we've built in the protections, but the notion that, you know, we should have no tool at all in this area uh, when, you know, this is not going to be the last kind. We have this thing. Think for a moment. I'm One of the things that has kind of gotten me freaked out right now is, you know, the rapid movement forward of artificial intelligence. I think many people have seen ChatGPT and how quickly that's moving. You know, you really, you know, at least from a national security standpoint, if China runs the table on AI and all of their authoritarian values are built into your AI responses, in my mind, that is a huge national security risk. And if we can't, don't have a framework to deal with that, and we're dealing with this whack-a-mole arbitrary approach, that's not a good place for our country. There's also a concern I saw that this bill may give the U.S. government more power to surveil Americans or collect data. Is that that true? I, I have heard that charge. No one has pointed to any specific language. I think that we are seeing, and, and increasingly more from the, some of the right-wing media, they are throwing everything they can up against the wall and and are seeing what might stick. And, you know, it's my job and those who are advocating here to rebut that. But, you know, this has nothing you know, to do with surveilling individual Americans. I think that does not make sense. I, I don't think those tools ought to be increased. And, you know, this is, again, foreign-based technology 
owned and controlled, owned and then indirectly or directly controlled by the governments of China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela. One test of anything that expands executive power at all for me these days is um, would I be comfortable with this power in the hands of Donald Trump or another Donald Trump? Would you? Would you be okay with that if there's a, a Trump administration who has the power of the Restrict Act? I would for two reasons. That if there was any attempt to expand this, Congress got a right to, to override it. I would as well because I still um, trust in the uh, the basic fairness of the federal judiciary. Now, I'm glad we've got a, a number of more fair-minded judges on, but the the notion that we're going to do nothing, what I would be more afraid of is an arbitrary action by some future administration that is not at all based in rules, that doesn't have any kind of due process to it, that um, says, okay, I'm president, I can do whatever I want, and I'm just going to decree this is bad. So I spoke to um, V Spears, who's a hugely popular uh, TikTok newscaster. They wanted me to tell you that, sure, they and other TikTok users, they have privacy concerns, they want privacy protections, but they really value the community they found on TikTok. You know, it's not just dance videos. There's so many young people who get their news from TikTok. There's a lot of young people who make a living on TikTok. And more importantly, they said it's not so easy to just transfer the community they've built on TikTok to some other app. What would you say to, to V and the other 100 million or so American uh, TikTok users, most of whom are supporters of yours, President Biden, Democratic Party? Yeah, and I, I listen, I met with a young woman the other day um, who was from the disability community, and she had you know, both made a living and TikTok had completely changed her life. Interesting enough, she was, you know, uh, Taiwanese heritage, and, you know, she was the first to say that you know, she's against the Communist Party of China. And so the what she said was, yes, there are problems. She wants the ability to still make a living and still have this creativity. At the end of the day, she was was not though willing to say that she trusted the CCP and that if there's a way to make this transference, and it doesn't have to be an American company. Let me be clear. If it was an Indian company, a Brazilian company, any company from any country that is not one of these six authoritarian regimes, I think there is a uh, is an opportunity. And again, this is not going to happen overnight. We got to pass this. You got to go through a process. Um, if this is where things are headed, and divestiture with moving the source code could be a solution set. But if if this is where this is headed, I guess I still believe there's a ton of money to be made here, and that someone will create a similar like kind platform with the still ability to make money and make it easier to port your followers. I mean, if we had data portability, uh, which should be the law for all social media, and for people wondering what that means, uh, I'm old enough to remember when it was a real pain in the ass to move from one telephone company to another. Me too. <laughs> now you can move number portability. You, you know, it makes the market more competitive. If we can move your data easily and move your followers easily and that would produce more competition in the market. We need that as a law for both, not just TikTok, but for American platforms as well. But I firmly believe the market will create this opportunity because, you know, you are seeing, uh, I'm not sure I've, I can walk through Washington right now without bumping into somebody that's on TikTok payroll. 
<laughs> I know I've heard. I've read the stories. Senator Mark Warner, thank you so much for, for walking us through all this. Uh, appreciate the time. And uh, thanks. Thanks for joining offline. And again, John, thank you. And what I say to everybody, you know, I don't want to push anybody off the creativity or making their living. We can work through this, but please take a moment and think about both. Do you really want your data residing in Beijing? And do you really want to be subject to the kind of manipulation, in particular, as we see with deep fakes, the ability to manipulate propaganda is going to exponentially grow. So I appreciate the chance to make the case. And uh, if, if your listeners have got other comments, fire them away at me and we'll try to respond. Excellent. All right. Take care, Senator. Thank you. All right. I'm here with uh, Max Fisher. Hey, Max. Hey, pal. Now that we have heard from V, Graham, and Senator Warner, I thought maybe we could sort of sum up where we stand now on the great TikTok debate. How did you come into this and have your views changed at all? I am really glad we did this because I I feel a lot differently than I did before. And I came into this thinking, um, if you would ask me, should we ban TikTok? I would have said, it doesn't matter because it's never going to happen because the reasons for it that we heard at that congressional hearing were so stupid. The like national security case seems so flimsy. I now think it could happen. I will tell you where I came up, but I'm kind of curious how you came into it. So I came into it thinking that a ban on balance was probably a better idea. Hmm. Partly this is colored by the conversation I had about a year ago on the show with Scott Galloway. Sure. And I sort of like went deep into TikTok and, and the propaganda dangers and all that kind of stuff. Right. And also just hearing so many people at high levels of government, especially people with national security jobs being like, oh yeah, absolutely get that off your phone. Right. So I thought, I came in thinking maybe a ban was a good idea. Having talked to V and then listened to your interview with Graham, I now think that like, I think that we can solve some of the privacy concerns if Project Texas gets off the ground. Yeah, I think that the propaganda concerns are harder mm -hmm. to fix, but also we have propaganda concerns with a host of other social media apps. It's true. Uh, even if you take foreign actors out of the equation, we're not doing so hot ourselves. Right. <laughs> spreading yeah. misinformation and propaganda. Right. Um, so I think that's a that it's a serious problem. I've thought about I've thought that for a while, but I don't know that the benefits of an outright ban outweigh the you know that yeah. what what it yeah, would yeah. do. It, yeah. In talking to V, it's like there's a lot of people in this country who make a living off TikTok, find community off TikTok, and get their news and information from TikTok. And as V said, there's a lot of really great honest truthful reporting yeah. coming from it. Right. So, yeah, we, we do often skip over, is there actually an upside from this app just in terms of like, it brings people enjoyment day to day. I think I came out in a similar place to you. I think on the, I kind of separated my mind the like privacy concerns and the foreign influence concerns. Mm -hmm. And I think on privacy, the risk that China could access US user data, I came out against a ban with a small caveat. And then on the influence question, I came out against the ban with a big caveat. And okay. on, on privacy, like you, I was really kind of persuaded digging into the details and talking to people about Project Texas, the set of like safeguards that TikTok would set up that like, 
it, it really looks pretty robust. And it's kind of the like JCPOA, like the Iran nuclear <laughs> deal of like privacy protections. Wow. Like, like it's not that we trust them. It's just that like there's so many safeguards. There's so many layers of oversight that it would be so onerous and difficult and obvious to spot if they stole huge amounts of user data that I, I, I'm really pretty persuaded that it would in most cases head that off with the small caveat being that Something everybody said is that TikTok, like any social media app, just hoovers up a catastrophic amount of your Mm. personal data. And once a company has that data and it exists somewhere, it's possible for a really determined foreign actor to get it. So I think that for most of us, it's not a privacy risk. But if you work in a sensitive field, like if I were reporting someplace really sensitive, I didn't want governments to know who I was meeting with, I would delete TikTok off of my phone. But I I would do the same thing for Facebook and Instagram. I was just going to say, I think that I understand the government ban. Yeah, on phones. Yeah. And I think if you're a government employee, I think if you work at a company yeah. that's connected to national security, it might be good for a ban. And I think if you're a journalist, yeah. it might be, good. <laughs> it might be good to get it off your I phone. I think it's true, but I think that's true of Facebook apps too. Not I, because Mark Zuckerberg is going to give your data to you know Ayatollah Khamenei, but just right. because like once a big company takes it, it's easy for someone to like go out and grab it. I also thought it was interesting that Senator Warner mm-hmm. said that he could be persuaded that Project Texas would solve the yeah. privacy data concerns. His wording on not, that was very interesting. Yeah, it's not so much the propaganda, right. but the but the privacy data. So I do think that Project Texas has to work. Right. If it doesn't, I think <laughs> right. we're in a whole different spot. Yeah. But I think that's But it looks it looks pretty effective. Yeah. Uh, on influence, I, I was thinking a lot about something that Graham said to me off mic, which is he said, look, in 2016, malign state actors, these like Russian hackers, tried to use social media into, to influence the election. And we know it didn't really have that much of an effect. And I was kind of thinking, well, that's true. But at the same time, we know that the platforms themselves had a huge catastrophic impact on that election and have continued to ever since. And that's not with anyone even trying to use the Facebook algorithm, like anyone in Facebook or YouTube trying to use the algorithm to influence our politics, but just because those algorithms decided on their own to promote division and misinformation, it had this huge effect. So the risk of a hostile foreign government, especially in a potential conflict scenario, having that power and intentionally wielding that, I think the risks of that happening are really low. And I think Project Texas means that it would be easy to spot. I think also Chinese overseas propaganda is very clumsy, so it would be very obvious. Much like Russian propaganda. <laughs> yeah, and, and even more so. Yeah. They're, just, they're like just not as practiced at it. And I yeah. think we would see it if it happened. But the risk of that and the like handing the kind of power that Facebook and YouTube already have over our society and saying, what if if that power was also potentially in the hands of Xi Jinping is pretty scary. So I think where I came out is thinking that a, a proactive ban is not the right move there because it's such an extreme step, but that you maybe do want to have the legal and technical mechanisms in place for a big, like, in case of Chinese influence operation, like shut down TikTok. Well, that brings me to, like, having said all of this, mm-hmm. I also th- came away thinking that the concerns about the Restrict Act and the accusations that the Restrict Act is like a Patriot Act on steroids are way overblown. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. (laughs) And I just think that like the government does, the federal government does need some kind of a process with which to handle potential national security threats from tech owned by foreign adversaries. And it seems like they do not have the tools to do that right now. And I think putting in place a process where they have those tools, not just, you know, and, and can't just wield them unilaterally, but as as Warner said, even if this 
legislation is passed, TikTok would have their day in court, right? right? right having right. some level of judicial review, having different layers of protection there. But like, it, it does seem like the government needs, because it's not just going to be TikTok here, right. like whether it's Chinese tech, whether it's some other adversary, like we're going to, we're going to need the tools to, to mitigate. That. Right. And legal regimes for, um, regulating foreign-owned media companies are incredibly common in the democratic world. Like Canada has yep. very, very tight and restrictive rules for foreign-owned media. So I think the, the mere existence of laws to think about foreign-owned media companies in a country, I think is not in itself cause for concern. I agree with that. All right, so we solved it. Okay, we nice figured job. it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> want to thank uh, V Spear, Senator Mark Warner, and Graham Webster uh, for joining this episode. And also, if any of you have thoughts, opinions, concerns, you want to weigh in on the TikTok debate, um, please email us at offline at cricket.com. We would love to hear from you. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Offline is a Crooked Media production. It's written and hosted by me, John Favreau. It's produced by Austin Fisher. Emma Illick-Frank is our associate producer. Andrew Chadwick is our sound editor. Kyle Seglin, Charlotte Landis, and Vasilis Fotopoulos sound engineered the show. Jordan Katz and Kenny Siegel take care of our music. Thanks to Michael Martinez, Ari Schwartz, Amelia Montooth, and Sandy Gerard for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Narmel Konian, who film and share our episodes as videos every week. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.